0: Am I excited to have this conversation with you? We are going to delve into relationships, relationship, drama, as I say, <laughs> but situations, <laughs> irritations, solutions. We're going to get into all of that. And I'm so happy you're here. Why don't you take a moment and just tell everybody a little bit about you and what you do? Sure.
1: Um, so I'm really excited to be here, I wanna say that first. <laughs> and they don't know, we were just talking for I don't know how long, we could have done that all day. So I I uh, am a, recover- a long-term recovering heroin addict and um, I have been in and around the 12 steps since 1985 um, and actually since 1983. And it, so it's been a long haul, It's been it's been a, it's been a long go. And what I've done, you know, I, parlay, of course, a lot of us in recovery, you know, we go to all our rehabs and then we come out, and we become a counselor, which is just what I did. And then uh, over the years, I sort of, I'm a Jew from New York. So I kept getting degrees, you know, cause that's what we do. We just keep going to school. And I got a master's in counseling psychology and was, you know, doing all the rehab work and all that. And I started to really want to affect change on a larger level. And I started working in businesses. I got an MBA, I eventually got my PhD. and I ended up working with executives in trouble with drug and alcohol for many years, and then sort of came back um, about 10 years ago, nine years ago, to just kind of a broader working with people. And obviously, I talk a lot on my own podcast about being in recovery, and I touch on it all the time, and I take 12-stop concepts all the time in, but um, I call myself a relationship maven. I love relationships. It's my jam. It's my thing. It's what I, I love it all. And you know, getting myself in a healthy place, you know, the beginning of recovery, I call it taking hostages, remember?
0: Mm-hmm, <laughs> Dating was sure. taking
1: hostages. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I did that for many years, but I eventually was able to get married and have kids and do all the things. And I really lead a very happy life. I, I, I'm happy. There's no drama, which is shocking.
0: <laughs> and
1: uh, I know and I'm calm day to day and I enjoy people and I don't have resentments everywhere, you know, and this has all been this work that I've been doing all these years. So my kind of special thing is that I'm really into the research and what really works, not what people say works, but what we know works. And then I've been working with people for 37 years. So I put all that together, I zhuzh it up, and I come out with really actionable, clear tools that you can use like today to start feeling and being different in relationships. So that's, I just didn't think anybody was doing it. And it was yeah. I well, want to you, have an are,
0: you are a perfect fit for us because that is exactly what I love to provide to Like always, it has to be actionable, yep. but partially too, because you never know what is going to be the moment that somebody's going to hear just the right thing said just the right way. And that's the day they actually take action. So I always want to have those action things available. So whatever resonates with somebody, it gets them moving. So we did talk for a long time before we started recording, which was awesome. Uh, But I did finally Mm -hmm. have to start recording or we would be here all day. (laughs) (laughs) So the thing I really want to get into, and my audience definitely knows this. I've been trying to find. Answers good answers to this question for a long time because I get asked all the time about uh, what how do you manage or navigate a relationship when one person is getting sober and the other person is not, and mm-hmm. it can go a couple of different ways where maybe. One person is getting sober and the other partner also has substance issues. Maybe they're also misusing substance. So that can be challenging, right? Having alcohol in the house still, things like that. Or it can be the partner doesn't have any addiction issues at all. So they don't really understand what goes into getting sober and how much energy that takes and the roller coaster ride as your brain is healing and post-acute withdrawal and all those things. So I just really wanted to talk to you about how to navigate those things. Like how do you keep your relationship healthy when it feels like you're on two different paths? Yeah. Oh, so
1: big. And I will say some, it's kind of different depending on if the person's a normie or not, right? Mm -hmm. That has a lot to do with it, but not everything to do with it. Um, And it's really about shifting your mindset about what's happening. You know, most of us who are addicts were, I like to say we are control enthusiasts um, (laughs) instead of freaks, but we're, we're control nuts. And really what's happening is we're trying to change the other person. And we are very fixated on that. You know, I'm doing this thing. So you've got to change so that we can get to this place. And, and really that's manipulation. That's like our old self that's fear-based, right? And our old selves are so fear-based. So it needs to not, the focus needs to not be on the other person first and foremost. That's just number one. Number two is I, I talk about this a lot. So you know, we learn our whole lives, right? Relationships, you know, our better half, our other half, you know, he completes me, which makes me want to throw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> um, all that kind of crap, right? And it's such a lie. It's a lie. So, and I, I tell people to think of relationships like this. It's a, Relationships are exponential. They are like, you know, crazy, right? So it's not a simple addition problem. Nothing simple. Anybody listening has been a long-term relationship or any relationship knows it's not simple. So it's not a simple addition. It's a multiplication problem. And when you have a half times a half, if you remember third grade math, that's a quarter. Two half people, you end up with less than you started with. And the only way to have a whole relationship, right, is one and one, you get this whole healthy relationship. Well, when you came into this relationship, if you were using, especially, uh, you're in your little half state, right? And here you are trying to be a whole. And if you're with someone, whether they're using or not, someone who's attracted to you, let's, I even think the sicker one is the one who's not using, frankly. Um, what are they doing with you? I know you're good in bed. I know you're gorgeous. I know you're fabulous and funny and all the things, but they shouldn't be with you. Like there's other fabulous, funny, fat, wonderful people who aren't use who are addicts. So that person is a half, even though they seem like a whole, right? That, mm-hmm. and if you're obviously with someone who's addicted, they're a half too right? I say with love, I'm not downgrading anyone. It just mm-hmm. is what it is. You're, you're not where you want to be. You're not that whole person, but what happens, and again, this is why it's a little different tracks. Often when we're with somebody who isn't using, who's a normie, they sort of pretend like they're perfect and fine and we're the problem. And if we would just change, then our relationship would be fine. And that's the biggest lie there is because again, why did this person, why are they here? So trust me, you think you're a control freak? That person's a bigger one, right? We know this. They're they're really they're really there. So that's a problem in and of itself. That you're looking as if you're you're treating the relationship as if one of you is sicker than the other, right? And to me, whoever usually as addicts is we're getting clean and sober we're the, we're the healthiest people in the family. We end up being the healthiest people around and all our families of origin and all I have the craziest family, like all the rest of them who don't have treatment or help. They're still crazy there's still little halves running around and we've been the identified patient for so long. It's kind of hard to figure out, you know what I mean? That mm-hmm. we're okay. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm actually healthier these people.
0: This so, is one of my greatest joys yeah. in sobriety though, is I went from being the effed up one in my family. Like I was always the broken one, the black sheep. I was always yeah. different. I never did anything the way my good old fashioned Midwestern family did. I was always a lunatic you know, in comparison to them, yeah. I was always the crazy one. Yeah. And it's one of the greatest joys of my sobriety is to have really crossed over to being, you know, the golden child, so to speak. I mean, yeah. it took me till I was 50, but whatever, we're here. Hey,
1: hey, We're all here. We're all here now. And we're looking fabulous in our fifties. Um, so that, so that, right. So that it's it's like a shift of mindset out of, you know, whatever you've been told about all this, you know, whatever you've been thinking about this, that you are, but you still have to work on yourself. Right. And so, and you can stay in any of these relationships, you can stay, but you have to focus on yourself and not changing them. That is the absolute first thing. Really? We say all the time, it's a program of attraction, not promotion. I mean, I can't even tell you how much this applies here Mm -hmm. because, that is really how people end up sort of being willing to come to us or willing to shift or change is when they can see the reason why. If we're there sort of nagging at them or like, you need to do this, or this is driving me great or whatever, who wants to change for that person? Like I don't want to change for you. Well, I say a lot, we have to connect to correct. So I want you to think of that first. You have to be connected to this person. If this is your person, And you're choosing to stay in this relationship right now, you need to connect first. That is your number one first priority, not changing them, not, and just like, you know, unconditional love is a nice thing, but it doesn't matter if we don't feel unconditionally accepted. And you need to accept who this person is. It doesn't mean you don't want it to change. It doesn't mean you don't want to grow. It doesn't mean any of that. But if you don't accept them for who they are, number one, they're not feeling loved, just like we don't. Right.
0: And not safe. You're not safe. No. When you feel like your person doesn't accept you or trust you or like you, that is not a safe space. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. So
1: think of that. So you're doing it to them. So they're having all these feelings because they, again, when we try to change people, it means I don't accept where you are. So I want you somewhere else. And by the way, it's for us more than it's for them. I say with, again, so much love in my heart, but it is, we're afraid. We're afraid of relapsing. We're afraid of losing this relationship. We're we're afraid of something. And so we want this outcome for a reason. And that's our, that's, we're driving towards an outcome instead. uh, And that's manipulation. Again, I know it's not like in our heads, like I'm going to get them to do that. You know, Mm -hmm. we're not that whatever Machiavellian, but that's what's happening. And so you have to let go of that part and just be in every day. And these questions, you know, ask yourself are number one, why am I here? Like, what am I getting from the relationship? What feels good? Like, what, why am I here? And maybe you're there for some unhealthy reasons and some healthy ones. You know, that's usually a combo, right? Mm-hmm. It's usually some combination. So for now, if you're choosing to stay, you, and it's a choice, you can leave at any time. You can leave. So if you're choosing to stay, you have to act that way. No one's forcing you here. No one's making you do anything. I I use the acronym VERB a lot. If you're acting like a victim, acting entitled, waiting for someone to rescue you, like they have to change for everything to be different, reading minds. (laughs) You can't read their mind. They can't read yours. Or if you're blaming, so VERB. Right. If you're doing any of those things. You have to look at yourself. You are in an unhealthy space. And if they're doing any of those things, it's the same kind of thing. They're in an unhealthy space. So it, and I use it a lot because it just helps me when I'm talking to somebody, you know, if I'm feeling like they're blaming me for their lot in life, or, you know, if you would just change, then we'd be fine. You know, that stuff, it's like, whoa, that, that's not, you know, I know right away I'm in, I should stop this conversation. We're we're not, we're not going to get anywhere with how we're talking to each other. So there's, there's, again, this, But you need to have the clarity first that you're not doing any of those things, that you're not acting like this should happen or needs to, you know, whatever that is, or again, acting like a victim. Well, I have no choice. We always have choice. So if you're making the choice to say, it's really at this point about broadening your own life so that this person isn't your primary focus. You know, are you are you taking care of yourself? Do you go to meetings? Do you have a therapist? You know, whatever your things are, are you get are you I don't know. Are you getting a mani pedi or a massage or you know the things that make you feel good day to day? Do you have a lot of friends? Do you have people you can really talk to? It's not our partner's job to make us happy. It, it that's our job. So, you know, stop looking to them and deciding that this outside thing is happening, which means I can't be happy, which means I can't whatever. No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. And there's people who stay with using addicts their whole lives and make it work, you know, if that's what you want. But I would also say you need to accept the relationship where it is, not where you want it to be. It doesn't, again, mean you're not striving. But if this person never changed, would you, you know, is this it? Cause that's what you have to go on—not potential, not what could happen. <laughs> you got to be right here, right now, going. This is okay, and that's true, right? Life on life's terms. That's that's us everywhere, just being in in our moments and really being like, "What am I doing now?" Right? Life is happening for us, not to us. So, what yeah. is this teaching me? What is happening here for me? What can I learn from this? You know, how am I growing uh, with this situation? And it's from there that you'll start to make better decisions about what you're doing in the relationship.
0: And it is so important to be introspective on those things too, right? Like clients, I'm sure you get the same thing with your clients. You know, we can get in these conversations about our partners, spouses, and they do this and they said this, and I wish they would do this and blah, blah, blah. Yep. And my thing is always, okay, like I got to look at me. Am I also doing those things? am I really showing up to the best of my ability? Like I'm mad at my partner for not being accepting of some part of me, but am I being accepting of all parts of my partner? You know, like you have, like check yourself, where are you and how are you showing up? It's not about the other person. Yeah. It's really not. And there's, and here's the, um,
1: here's the thing. (laughs) So from a, From a brain, I'm just going to, I won't get too into it, but from a brain perspective, this is real. So our conscious brains process information at a rate of 50 bits per second, but our unconscious or subconscious brains process information at a rate of 11 million bits per second. So your partner isn't hearing what you say, they hear what you mean. So you've got to work first, right? And that's what they're reacting to. That's what, and you do too, you've walked in a room, I don't know, you've been in a meeting and someone was talking and you're like, this person's full of it. They're full of crap. <laughs> and they're saying all the right things, but you, you're right. Your BS meter's going off. You're like, ah, uh, no, 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 Especially I think us addicts were like, so yeah. in tune, you know? Yeah, And so, and that's, but that's happening all the time. You don't realize that you're with you. So if you're in your head thinking, you know, they have to if they don't stop drinking or using, then we're not going to be able to be happy or I'm not going to be able to stay. Or um, I, you know, my, my partner's always nagging me. They don't understand They they have to go to Al-Anon or we're never going to be able to work or whatever that is. They're picking up on that. They get that you want them to change, that something is wrong with them, that you're pointing out their wrongness and they start reacting to that. Do you know what I'm saying? Like they're reacting mm-hmm. to that all the time. And then they're acting in that way. And you're even more frustrated because <laughs> you feel like you're doing all the right things. And you're saying all the right things, but they're not coming on board. And then you stop doing the things you should be doing because, well, they're not changing. Do you see what happened? Like, do you see what I'm yeah. saying? Like, it's yeah. this horrible cycle. And they think, oh, God, I didn't change. I knew she'd go back to the way she was. Mm-hmm. I was just waiting her out. Like I I knew that was, she'd be nice for a week and that was going to go away. That's the thing you have to get past. And and I hear people say to me, well, like, well, how long do I need to, you know, how long should I stay before I know it's wrong or how long you stay, you know how you know when you're happy Mm -hmm. because and i will give you one more piece of brain here. (laughs) So we have, you know, fear-based emotions and what I call love-based emotions, right. You know, Our fear, anxiety, I'm worried that I'm afraid that all the, you know, what if I get taken advantage of all all that crap? And that's all our amygdala, our limbic system, right? That's all that that is. And it's the only place that can fight, flight, or freeze kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. right? It's the only place it can operate. Our prefrontal cortex, our neocortex, where our spirituality, our appreciation, gratitude, love, compassion, kindness, gentleness, all that lives. Okay. Another part of the brain. Problem solving, figuring stuff out, long-term planning, all is there.
0: risk. Yeah.
1: Right? When you, here's the thing though, when you're amygdala, when you're in that fear place of like, well, what if my partner does this? What if I get taken advantage? You know what? Oh, I'm worried that, or, oh, what are they doing now? I'm keeping score. I'm watching. When you're, when your amygdala is lit up, your prefrontal cortex, if you look at a functional MRI, it looks like there's a blanket over it. It cannot light up. So you can't remember the tool you learned on the great podcast the other day. It's like, you know, what did Angela say? You know, like mm-hmm. you, you can't even remember it. That's why hours later you're thinking, oh, I should have said this. I should have done that because it's gone. That part of your brain can't light up. Right. So, but the, it's true the opposite way. If you're in compassion and kindness and thoughtfulness and all those good things, your amygdala can't come on board. That part of your brain can't come on board. That's why it matters every minute what you're thinking about, what you're feeling. You cannot indulge. We can't go down the negative rabbit holes anymore. It has to stop. It has to, has to stop. So that's another story. But right here, right? You don't get me started. So I get all bossy Jewish mother, don't I? I'm like, ah, oh, here's what you need to do. Um, so, but on this other, so think about that. It's, you know, we have to start taking responsibility for where we are now, you know, for really, uh how do how do I need to be in the relationship in a loving way? How how can I just like that's all I'm doing? Because that's how I am now. That's my boundary. I'm a compassionate, kind person. I mean, isn't you know, we we call people dry when they're not I know I'm going on a tangent, but I'm coming back. We call people dry when they're not working the program, right? The, so you can stop drugs and alcohol, but the promises aren't there unless you actually change the way you're thinking and feeling, right? The way you think about things. And that's really what the key is. You have to change. So I decide now, oh, in sobriety, I am this really, I'm going to be kind of compassionate. You know, I'm going to be thoughtful and I'll be mindful, whatever, whoever you decide you're going to be. Well, that's not just until someone acts nice to you or mean to you or anything else. That's just how you are. That's just how you are. And and um, and I'm circling it back. And this relates to your boundaries, which I know you talk about because we mm-hmm. talk about, right? <laughs> when you think of loving detachment, truly what loving detachment is, and it, the key to that, and that's what you need to have with your partner and whoever he or she is, the key to that is that I have a boundary about who I am and how I act. And if you're nice to me, I don't collapse the boundary. And if you're mean to me, I don't collapse the boundary. So here's what usually happens so I have my boundary. Uh, I need you to act a certain way, you know, uh, no alcohol in the house. Let's say that no alcohol in the house, but then there's alcohol in the house. So we, so, right. So, and or, or let's no, this is better. I have no alcohol in the house, but there's a, there's a holiday and a lot of people are coming over. So your partner asks you like, can't we just have some wine at dinner? You know, it's not okay. We'll get rid of it later or whatever. Right. And you, your partner's being so loving and kind, you collapse your boundary. You say, okay, you make what I call a thin boundary. You go, all right, let's just do that. Then the alcohol, everyone gets drunk at the, maybe the thing, or maybe they don't, but, or the alcohol stays in the house after, even though they promised they get rid of it. Right. Maybe your partner promised if it's here, I won't drink. Or they started drinking, right. Whatever it is. And then you get pissed and then you go all the way over. You like slam the door. It, right. It's like, so, and like, how could you do that? You took advantage of me. You promised. No, 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 baby. No, 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 sweetheart. You don't get to do that. You're the one who didn't respect your boundary, and now you're pissed that this other person didn't respect your boundary. But you are the one who didn't respect it first. So why should they? Why should they? It's not. Now, their can job. you
0: can you resolidify the boundary after the gathering? Like if you make yeah. if you thin your boundary and go, yeah, sure, we're having family over. You want to have a bottle of wine? Fantastic. And then a couple of people show up and they bring bottles of wine. So after the party is. Can you step in and go, okay, chop, chop, my love, yeah. get all the crap out of here. Yeah. Like, is that okay?
1: It is. You just have to take responsibility all the way through. Because again, that's when people get in that victim, that verb thing I just talked about mm-hmm. and the victim mm-hmm. thing, like, you know, but then, oh, but this is a really nice bottle of wine. We didn't open it. It's it's very expensive. How, you know, only addicts think this way, by the way. Yeah,
0: right. Normies exactly. Don't.
1: We just think it's so important. So amazing. And so, you know, like <laughs> so. Other special. People are- right? So special. How could we, you know, normies don't care. They're like, yeah, just, just get rid of it. Right. So, but again, yes, you can reaffirm the boundary, but don't again, expect the other person to take care of it. Or I would at the end of that meal say, Hey everybody, you know, I don't have any alcohol in the house. I wouldn't even put it on my partner at that point. Yeah, I would just say, who's taking the booze home.
0: Yep. Done. And this is something I feel like people fall into so much too is not setting healthy boundaries. And we're talking about all of this right now on my podcast. Like I have a three part series going. We just did boundaries. We're doing codependence and all of this. Yeah, yeah, all of this falls in. And people don't set the boundary and then they get a resentment at the other person that doesn't respect the boundary that they never set. It's like, if you keep it in your head, it doesn't (laughs) count. Like you can't, nobody can read your mind. I don't have a crystal ball. Like don't not tell me something and then be pissed at me that I did it wrong. If you want me to do it right, you've got to tell me what right is.
1: (laughs) But even if I did tell you the boundary, right? Let's say I set this thing with the drinking. I was very clear about my boundary. I don't want any alcohol in the house after everybody leaves. If my partner doesn't, you know, hold that and even asks, well, can't we just keep this really expensive bottle of wine? Again, it's it's not, I don't have to get pissed at them for asking. Right. I just need to say what's going to, like, no, this is what has to happen. And I need to have a, some kind of response on the other side, if it's not respected. That's the thing. If you got no teeth, if you just go, oh, well, I'm a victim. They kept the rind in the house anyway. Nothing I can do. Then what are you doing? So you, you've got to have something that, you know, you say, well, then I can't stay here. If that's here. So I'm going to have to go. and We're going to have to take the money out of our joint account for me to be somewhere else until the alcohol leaves the house. <laughs> like or whatever you want to do. How You know, that's kind of extreme, maybe. But however you want to say that. Uh, and. But you, there has to be something on the other side. So even if you state your boundary, if the other person doesn't hold it, it's not, again, their job to hold it. It's nice when they do. That's you know how we really get the love thing going when they do. But mm-hmm. a lot of times they don't understand it. Like if they're a normie, they don't really understand why you just can't stop drinking. You mm-hmm. know, everyone drank too much. If anybody went to college who's listening, everybody drank too much. Everybody partied more in college than I did. I didn't even drink. I, I, I wasn't even a drinker. I was a, just a heroin addict, <laughs> but I didn't even like to drink. So, but people partied more than me, did more heroin, more drugs than me. But at some point, right, they kind of woke up and went, oh, this isn't good. I got to move on. That's the majority of people. Yeah. So you're probably now married to that person. Maybe, you know, you're, you're with someone right. like that. And so they really don't understand. They They say they do, they're trying, but they just can't really get it that this is a chronic disease, that that, that that our brains are changed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Physically that we don't, yes, maybe it was our choice the first time we did something or the few times, but afterwards as our brain changes, as theirs did not, because they're not addicts, uh, we no longer have choice in the same way. Mm-hmm. And that has changed because of our physiology, you know, but again, the, people have a very hard, as we all know, especially here in the United States, you know, where it's like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you can do, and you can do anything. And, you know, you can't willpower yourself out of this as we know. So that's where things get really sticky with that. But again, it's not our job to make them
0: understand. They don't have to understand. Right. I say that all the time too. They just have to respect it. In in fact, the other part of what I say with that is I'm glad they don't understand because that means they don't have it. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, yeah, please don't understand and be (laughs) grateful that you don't have to understand, you know, because, because then you're not battling this monster on a daily basis. Right. But yeah. And it is, I think to the, my boundaries are my responsibility. They're not anybody else's responsibility. It's my responsibility to speak up for myself and yes. stand my ground and yes. and teach people how to treat me and and what's acceptable and what isn't. That's what my not? responsibility. Also because it's never going to be as important to anyone else as it is to me. Exactly. I need to do that work. So true.
1: And and this is though why we call it loving detachment. Because if you get pissed that someone's not respecting your boundaries, that's where it goes wrong. It Your partner is, you know, we say it all the time, is doing the best with the tools they have. That's what they're doing, just like you are. And so again, here's my boundary. I'm a kind, considerate person, compassionate all the time. I'm going to have compassion because also sometimes our part. think about it, if they're not using, part of them just wishes we could and just sort of join with them in this Mm -hmm. fun activity. And if they are using, trust me, they wish you'd drink with them. So they're kind of wanting that it, on whatever subconscious level that is, there's no way they're not. And so how, you know, you you don't have to, they're, they're not wanting it because they hate you. They're wanting it because they want to keep you. They want to be closer to you. And they see this as a means to that. So it's it's not to hurt, you know, that, that's not what's going on. That So if you can come from that place of like, wow, they really see this as a way to connect with me and I don't want to connect on this level, but how else could I connect? how else could we show we love each other? How else could we have fun together? How else could we feel relaxed together? How else could we have great sex together? Cause that happens a lot. I will tell you Cute, people get yeah. together and everybody's using and right. And it's like, woo, sex is crazy and you're not self-conscious and you walk straight out of the room, everyone can see your butt, you're fine, right? You're not thinking. And then later you get sober and you're like, I got the sheet up and you're <laughs> like, really? So, you know, backing out of a room and, you know, sex feels, some Some I, you know, first time I my sex sober it was like, oh, this is a whole new thing. There's a whole thing there that happens with sure. what could have been in the very beginning with all this, right? Which usually is, it's not as common for someone who's already sober many years to get with someone who's a normie. It's just not as common, although I'm with a normie, but it's not as common. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there was probably something in the beginning that they're nostalgic for that they want, again, as a connection, not because they hate you, but because they love you. They're trying yeah. to keep you. So if you can come from that, you don't have to get so mad when they trample your boundary. You you can just have some compassion for them and think to yourself, wow, they're trying to connect with me. How can I connect in another way that will get you again, program of attraction, not promotion, talk about how you can really get someone on your side and really to be there with you when they feel connected to you, when they feel like they're getting their needs met and they have these other ways, the alcohol is not going to, or the drugs are not going to become as important.
0: That's such a great way to look at it. They're trying to connect with you. It's not adversarial, right? It's not. Yeah. I love that because I think people have a tendency to jump to the conclusion that it's adversarial and it's just not.
1: Right. Well, and because we're in that fear side of our brain, we're terrified. I don't want to relapse. Oh my God. I don't want to break up with this person. Oh my God. We're thinking of all the other stuff. So we're fear-based, right? So we react with that. That's what happens, and again, that's the loving detachment. You stay in your boundary. Here's who I am. Here's what I am. If I always compare it to like if I'm speeding on a highway and a cop and a cop catches me. Right? He doesn't. Let's say it's a male. He doesn't come up to my window and go, "What's wrong with you? Why are you speeding on my highway?" Right? But he just gives me a ticket, and I gotta go deal. That's it. He doesn't take it personally. Doesn't think I'm a bad person. He just goes, "Here you go. Go pay the piper." Be that way when you have a boundary and when you, you know, don't take it personally, don't, don't go crazy, like, just like, well, this is my boundary and here's what I said about it. So how would you like to do this? You know, give them the, you know, what, what should we do? And that's it. And then again, from love, compassion, kindness, because that's the person you are now in sobriety. We're not running around harboring resentments and trying to figure out how people wronged us and anything else. That's that's not sobriety. And the resentments will kill you, as you know.
0: Now, how do you navigate that situation if your partner is uh an overpowering, big personality, you know, bully-ish, narcissistic? Like, how do you handle having your boundaries and holding your boundaries when you're dealing with a personality like that?
1: Yeah, it's and and can be very common for who we end up getting with. Right. Again, yes. from that half place into these yes. half kind of people. Right. So there, there is no one way to get there, except what well, I will say is that, again, you have to go hard in hard, <laughs> like you're getting paid, like it's your job on your spiritual practice, whatever that is, because that's where the answers are. And, and mm-hmm. I, I don't mean that in too much of a esoteric way. I mean it in a way of connecting to yourself because you have to find the strength again, to not get caught up. So what they're doing is, is they big, right? So your partner wants things the way they've always been, because then they know they have, you're together. So them change is bad. I don't want change. I like how it was. So I'm gonna do everything I can unconsciously to get us back there, right? To to get us where I know we're together, we're okay. And so I'm gonna bully or cajole or, you know, do all the things I do to try to get there. And again, if you can just step back and have this, you know, tiny bit of distance between yourself and the other person, you can see that for what it is. And it's really the same answer. You're going to need to dig deep and find a way to take a breath and say the same thing. Like I said, if we have alcohol in the house, I need to do X. And it should be something you're going to do, not what they need, obviously, because then they can just not do it. You know, so it has to be, you can't, have a boundary that's reliant on another person doing something.
0: Yeah. Because it's that's reliant on them taking action. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: It, it's gotta be rely on you and you have to be willing to do the thing. And if you're not yeah. willing to do the thing, then we come back to where we kind of started, which is it's time to just start shifting your mindset of like, well, I'm staying in this unhealthy relationship And I have to kind of see it as that right now, I'm not being healthy in this relationship because I'm not saying what I need and I'm not sticking to my boundaries, but I'm here because I really feel like I can't move for whatever reason and that's okay. To number one, stop eating the crap out of yourself. Like again, accept yourself here. (laughs) Like, okay, here I am. Do a mindfulness, you know, uh, do a compassion uh, meditation every day, you know, what self-compassion, self-kindness, whatever you got to do. You've got to start to start to start with accepting where you are. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Here I am, and because what we're doing is not accepting where we are, and instead, we're again fighting with them to change. And it's a lose. You're the only one you can control, but I can control how I feel right now. I don't have to beat myself up. This is where I am right now. I'm doing the best with the tools I have. And right now, for whatever reason, I don't even have to figure it all out. This is where I am. But again, As you do the work, you will start to engage that prefrontal cortex more and more. You're thinking, you're problem solving, you're how do I be? And you get out of, because when we're in that self-flagellation, we're beating ourselves up, it's total amygdala time. So that's when it feels hopeless and helpless and nothing ever changes. Mm -hmm. And I'm a victim. Of course it does, because that's the fuel you're putting in the tank. So you you've got to find that space. I don't care how small it is. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's how would I respond to a best friend who was in the situation? Would I tell them they're a piece of crap because they haven't left? Or would I say, hey, you're doing the best you can? Like you gotta be kind to yourself. You have to give yourself some patience and understanding in this, right? Sometimes it's that that's a technique in psychology that we use, you know, treating yourself like a best friend. But that changing that inner self-talk a little bit out of what's perfect and, and right into. When I tell people, they're asking themselves the wrong question a lot. They're saying, is it true? You know, uh, it's true. You know, I'm such a jerk. I don't know why I'm staying. This person's not helping me. Is it true that, yeah, they're drinking and they shouldn't, right? Uh, True. Like, I'm looking at the facts. The question to ask yourself is, is it helpful? So that might be true all day that I should leave, but it's not helpful to think that if I won't leave. Mm-hmm. So what can I do instead with that? Like, how can I go? And I ask, is it helpful all the friggin' time in my head? Like all the time, I'm doing, you know, I'll go on some little journey, you know, negative journey. And I think, is this helpful? Abby, is this helpful right now? Are you, are, is this help? No, it's not helping anybody. Mm-hmm. It's not make, helping me problem solve. It's not helping me feel good. It's not anything. So there is nothing more important than how you feel. Nothing. It's so interesting to me. We will plan everything, our, our big wedding days, a party, a dinner, our schedule. I plan to be here today with you. But then we don't plan the most important part, which is our feelings. That There's nothing more important than that. And that's setting intention. And that's the thing I tell people to do a ton of. And setting intention, I call I call it the 18-second shift because I'm crazy and I've timed it over and over. And I came up with an average of 18 seconds. This is how nutty I am. See, when you use your addiction for good, not evil, see what happens? Like you you just, you get crazy in other ways. So I call it the 18 second shift. So setting intention is the game changer. Your life is, is your happiness in your life is comprised of two things, your attention and your intention. Whatever you put attention on, think about it grows whether that's a bad thing or a good thing, doesn't matter, right? If I start putting my attention on something I don't like, it's woo, it's everywhere or, and whatever we don't put our attention on withers and diminishes. So if I can stop looking at what I'm not, you know, doing right and stop, right. It's going to diminish. It's going to get less. So that's my attention. So that's the biggie, right? Where am I looking? What am I, what am I focused on right this minute? Then it's our intention, you know, our, our attention kind of brings us into the moment and our intention transforms the moment. That's, that's how you can kind of think of that. And so I set intention all free before I came on the podcast today, I, right. I sat here in my office. I jumped up and down, which is funny. I don't let anybody see that. I get my energy up. Right. Cause I, and I thought I want to be a service. I really like, you know, I've listened to your podcast. I really like you. I send people to you all the time. I was like, Oh, I just like her. I want to connect. And I'm just excited about what we can create together and how we can help people. Right. That is what I, and we start talking the second I, we turn on Right. The second we turn on the thing, I was like, Oh, that I was like, bringing it, you know, because that's my intention that that's how that shifts and change. So if you walk in your house every day and you sit in, you sit in your car for a minute or on your bike or on your walk, whatever, and you just think to yourself, how do I want to be when I walk in? Do I want to be fun? Do I want to be sexy? Do I want to be patient? Patience is usually mine because I'm very impatient. <laughs> do I want to be kind, compassionate? And you walk in the door with that. Remember that 50 bits versus 11 million bits I talked about earlier? That's what people pick up on. They can tell, I'm telling you, they can tell. Like I've walked in the house, I do it every day. But your energy
0: is totally different.
1: Yes, that's the thing. Your energy,
0: how you carry yourself, your energy is totally different when you think about how you want the next moments to go. You know, when you have some intention, then you're more apt to achieve that.
1: There you go. So anytime, you can do this in big ways or little ways. You can set an intention every morning when you wake up. I I think that's not enough. Um, But I do it whenever I switch what I'm doing. So if when I'm getting in the car, I have a different intention about driving than I do when I come in the office and I'm meeting with somebody, right? I have a different intention before I record my podcast. I have a different, right? And I just, 18 seconds, 18 seconds. (laughs) If you don't have 18 seconds, I, I can't help.
0: Yeah, you know, right. but you have right. right,
1: and if you add that, or up if you don't course, have
0: the willingness to put right. in 18 seconds, 18 seconds. we got to have a whole other conversation. We have another conversation, <laughs> I say, with love,
1: right? And if I think of the whole day, maybe I've done that for a total of five minutes over the course of the day, all those 18 seconds, five minutes, I don't know, five minutes like over the course of a day, and just those little moments before I walk in a meeting, before you know, I come in the house, before I go wake up my kids, before all of that. Just instead of autopilot is the, is the kryptonite, especially of addicts because man, we get on autopilot and we go places and I, how many people have we heard and we've all done it and said, I don't know what happened. I just picked up a drink. Mm -hmm. Like I was fine. Everything was great. I just talked to my sponsor. I went to a meeting and then I was driving home and I went to pick up some ice cream. And, uh, next thing I know I got booze and I was like in the car drinking and like, how did it happen? Where did it come from? Right. And a lot of that is just being on autopilot and not checking in during the day that you felt a little anxious all day. Maybe somebody said something a few days ago you forgot about, but your brain hasn't. Maybe, you know, it's never all of a sudden. Yeah. It's like there's no overnight <laughs> yeah. successes, right? You and I have worked really hard on our podcast and they're big for a reason because right. it's been years of consistency, yeah. right? Literally. Yes. And that's what's given us this result. Not, it wasn't overnight. That didn't happen to me overnight. didn't happen to you overnight. So that's the thing. But we can think that sometimes like, oh no, I just used, I just relapsed.
0: Yeah, I just did. I don't remember if it was in a video or maybe it was on the podcast. I don't remember, but I just had a piece of this conversation about, because I think sometimes the people that are looking at you from the outside, especially as a sober person, I feel uh-huh. like my, like my audience has this idea that who I am today, how they know me today is exactly how I was when I got sober 16 years ago, right? Like I put down the drink and all of a sudden I was this human. And, And that is so far from the truth. I mean, this version of me in business, in aptitude, in capability, in perseverance, like this version of me right now, I just became in the last five years. And it took all those other years of practice to get to where I am right now. Now that does not mean my work is done. Right. I definitely hope I continue to grow and evolve at the same rate that I have, but it's not, it is not fast. (laughs) And we all hate that
1: because we're so impatient, right? I mean,
0: but it's, it's such a beautiful journey too. There's yeah, it's slow. It takes time. But if you have, if you have some awareness of what you're doing and some appreciation for what you're doing on a daily basis, then you get to pick up on all these beautiful little tiny nuances in your life that you can recognize are different. And that's how you start to see all the little tiny things that you're like, oh, damn, look how I handled that, you know, or, oh, look, I followed through. I've never Uh done that before. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I showed up on time. You know, it's all these little tiny things that just start to click. And that's what creates the big picture years in Uh But being able to recognize the little things is one of the greatest joys of my life
1: it's, it's the whole thing. And yeah, you know, because I, otherwise I,
0: it would just seem lame and mundane. Right. Which we don't like. We we're
1: don't like extra. All. <laughs> I say all the time that, you know, great relationships aren't built in a day. Great relationships are built daily. Yes.
0: You know, it's
1: like, it's including like
0: being, the one with yourself, with ourselves.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and it's really just showing up for yourself day after day, you know, coming back over and over. And, and I do want to give one little, like, tool for the boundary occurred to me. I'm like, let me give something really specific to. So if you have somebody, when you're talking about someone's maybe kind of bullying or, you know, really at you, one of the uh, easiest frames, and it's been around a long time, because if you try to think of 50 different things to say or do in that moment, you're screwed, right? Forget it. Nothing's going to come out. So something you can use that's been around a long time is we call it like the I feel formula, which is basically, you know, I feel when you and I need. Right. And the secret is that, first of all, the I feel has to be followed by an actual feeling. So, a lot of people, when I ask how they feel, they give me thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you feel? Well, I feel abandoned that this person did that. And it's like, no, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. Where'd you go? <laughs> like, you know, I feel that you should, you know, like that, that's not a feeling. So, I feel maybe in this, but I feel overwhelmed and sad when you uh, come at me with X, Y, and Z. Keep it short when you, and I need. Uh, for us to sit and really talk about this differently, or I need to go wash my face for a minute, or I, you know, or I need this conversation to stop, right, you know, and what will happen. And by the way, I don't always know what I need because I'm crazy in the moment. You can leave that out. You can say, I feel when you, I feel what you can keep it really, you know, keep it simple, stupid, right? You can keep it really simple. But I will say, and then the person often will come back still though. Cause remember they like you the other way. So they're going to try to, you know, get in there and bring it back. So like, well, oh, you know, they might say like, Oh, is this some psycho babble Abby taught you? Or they, you know, they might go, you know, what, well, I'm just trying to tell you what, you know, da, da, da. and you just stick it. Like it's a mantra. Like it is the only thing you know how to say. And you can go to other feelings. You can say, I, well, you know, I'm just telling you, I feel frustrated. You know, now I feel frustrated when, uh, you, uh, come back at me like that and I need to be able to share my emotions openly or whatever, you know, you can, or just say the same thing you just said. I'm just telling you, I feel frustrated or overwhelmed and sad when you have this reaction and I need us to talk differently. And the person I keep, but I, and I'm telling you, I call it the hundred percent guarantee because people lose steam. They just lose steam. They don't know what to do anymore with you when you're doing this. And when you, and the biggest thing is that when you walk away, they might not have done anything you needed them to do, right? They might've ignored everything, but you feel better. Yeah. You didn't lose your, you know what? You didn't go crazy. You didn't uh, cower. You didn't run away. Mm -hmm. You didn't freeze. You get to feel proud of yourself walking away. I said what I needed to say. You know, I stuck to my guns, those guns. And even if the things don't change, that's the improvement, Mm right? Right. That's improvement. You didn't get sucked into an argument about it. You didn't walk away feeling like a victim. You didn't, right? You, you stuck to it. So using the, I feel can be really effective also in those situations. If you just feel like I need something, Abby. you know, I need, I need
0: something to say right there. Yeah. I love that. That's a great one. Yeah. Good, good, good one. It's why it's been around a while. Thank you so much for having this conversation with us. Like this has been such good information and I think will be really helpful for my audience. Um, I do have one final question for you. Mm -hmm. Last question. Favorite question. What is your favorite thing about being a sober person? I love that. I was like,
1: it's going to be my question. Um, my, Favorite
0: thing is, and I kept thinking of different,
1: answers, and I was like, "What is my favorite thing?" My favorite thing is is that I matter. You know, I just didn't matter before. I, I would say things like uh, I would lie or cheat or steal or do something because only I knew. It's like only I know. So it, it's like it didn't matter if I knew, and now it matters if I know. Now mm-hmm. I don't do things because even if I'm the only one who knows that person matters more than anybody else. So I'm somebody like I, it matters that I know about my behavior. And that was the, really the biggest transformation for me in sobriety. So yeah,
0: that's my, that's my favorite. That's fantastic. Thank you for that. Well, thanks again, Abby, for coming on. I'm sure we will uh, do some more stuff together in the future and keep this conversation going. Okay.
1: Thank you so much. So much fun with you.